Hello, everyone. Welcome to Screen Scream on Viola. It's going to be the Peace Memorial Holiday this weekend in Taiwan. Therefore, this episode is going to be a little bit serious. All the movies we're going to talk about today are related to home. The theme today is wherever the hearts are, wherever the home is. The first new movie we're going to talk about today is actually a classic re-release, and it's highly related to the Peace Memorial Day. Maybe you already know which movie I'm talking about, so let's listen to the introduction. A City of Sadness, the story of a family embroiled to the white terror that was wrought on the Taiwanese people by the Kuomintang government after their arrival from mainland China in the late 1940s. <laughs> Wow, the first new movie we're going to talk about today, which is a classic re-release. Yes, it is indeed a classic. It's a city of sadness. Even if you've never watched this movie, you definitely have heard about it. I went to the screening two weeks ago. The actor who played one of the brothers in the movie also showed up. And the host that day asked the audience, saying that a city of sadness is 33 years old. Is there anyone that's younger than the movie? I raised my hand right away, and I was pretty surprised that there were a lot of people who are younger than a city of sadness, just like me. I finally got the chance to watch this classic, and I have to say, it's really overwhelming. Even watching it now in 2023, A City of Sadness is directed by director Hou Xiaoxian. It was his tenth film. It won the Best Picture at the 46th Venice Film Festival, and also got Best Director and Best Actor in a Leading Role at the Golden Horse Award in 1989. It's also the pioneer that helped Taiwanese film to stand on the world stage. If we take movies from 30 years ago, like *A City of Sadness*, and compare them to movies right now, we will realize that movies right now keep giving us juicy and gruesome plots, but not like movies back then. Director Hou Xiaoxian used long shots to capture what he wanted. Taiwan was lifted from martial law not long time ago when the movie was filmed. So I personally think it was very courageous for the crew to make this movie, even though there's no martial law at the time. It was just lifted, still very dangerous, and that's exactly the reason why the whole film gives you an overwhelming beauty, and it didn't give too many details to many conflicts. We can also see a lot of celebrities from the literature field in the movie. One of the most exciting and surprising parts at the time was that Tony Leung played in *A City of Sadness*. The director said he always wanted to cast him in this movie because his eyes give people a sense of sadness. Therefore, although Tony Leung doesn't know how to speak Taiwanese, his character was written as a dumb so that he could be part of the movie. If you are in the same generation as I do, That were younger than the movie itself. I highly recommend you to watch *A City of Sadness*. It talks about Taiwan and how it is the home to Taiwanese. Now let's move on to the second new movie we're going to talk about today, which is about somebody else's home. *The Fablements*, New Jersey, 
Entranced by his first visit to a movie theater and haunted by the powerful imagery of Cecil B. DeMille's Oscar-winning The Greatest Show on Earth, young Sammy Fabelman returns home seeking to recreate it. And encouraged by Mitzi, his doting mother, Sammy discovers an irresistible passion for making home movies. As a result, the boys' creative projects become increasingly ambitious. Inspired by John Ford and the man who shot Liberty Valance, however, when a life-altering family secret hidden in plain sight puts a strain on family ties, influencing his work, Sammy will have to believe in the power of the land, embrace the slow process of growing up, and pursue his dream to become a storyteller. The second new movie we're going to talk about today is The Fablemans. It's adapted from director Steven Spielberg's childhood, so you can say this is a semi-autobiographical movie. The story is written by Steven Spielberg himself and the Pulitzer winner Tony Kushner. He used to write for movies directed by Steven Spielberg, such as Lincoln, and was nominated by the Oscars. The cast of The Fablemans is really strong, including four-time nominee Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, Seth Rogen, Gabrielle LaBelle, the Oscar-nominated Ginny Berlin, Julia Butters, Robin Butler, Kelly Carson, and another Oscar nominee, Judd Hirsch. Some people may say that, oh, The Fablemans directed by Steven Spielberg, and it has a very strong cast. Of course, it's a movie that people are looking forward to. But actually, one of the most important reasons is that among all these movies that Steven Spielberg has made, none of them is about his own story. But I would say maybe Super 8 is a little bit related to his own story. Anyway, he usually doesn't like to reveal himself and his own stories in his movies. However, after COVID-19, he realized that people around the world could just suddenly disappear because they die of an unknown disease. So he doesn't want to leave any story unsaid, untold. Therefore, he decided to make a movie that's based on his own story, The Fablemans. Actually, just from watching the trailer, I can't really tell what the family secret is, and maybe it's not even true, or it's actually a true secret of Steven Spielberg's family. But anyway, we will be able to see a little bit about how and why Steven Spielberg got himself into the movie industry. So I would say, no matter you are a fan of director Steven Spielberg or not, the Fableman might be one of the movies that are worth watching this weekend, especially because it's nominated by the Oscars for seven big awards. And if you don't want to miss all the good movies nominated by the Oscars, you should go watch The Fablemans. Later at Top 007, we have some new faces on the chart, and I'm going to talk about two brand new movies. But before that, let's review what we had from last week first. There were two top threes, 80 for Brady and Marry My Dead Body. Top two was A Man Called Otto. And top one, the one and only Avatar The Way of Water. Let's see who gets top seven to top four. Top four, Demon Slayer to the Swordsmith Village.
Titanic to make each day count. I will never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. What? There are only two movies from top seven to top four. It's going to be super crowded from top three to top one. But anyway, I still need to introduce one of these two. But the thing is, I want to talk about both of them. Although we've discussed a little bit of each of them when they were about to be released, but that's really not enough. Especially because I've seen both of them myself. But let's talk about the new movie first. Because if Titanic is on the chart next week, we can still talk about it. Before I say something good about Demon Slayer to the Swordsmith Village, let me complain a little bit. Even though before I went to the movie, I know it's the last two episodes of the Entertainment Area section and the very first episode of To the Swordsmith Village, but I didn't expect that they would just play the three episodes one after one. Do you know what I mean? They even include the opening and the preview. Wait, why do I need to watch that? Am I watching the streaming service at home on my laptop? It was so weird. Besides, I'm not a diehard fan of Demon Slayer. I was totally haunted after the glimpse of the first episode, but I still finished the first season and the entertainment area. Just think it as an art. But I guess if you really like Demon Slayer, you will probably still enjoy this movie version, if we can call it a movie version, because in the beginning of it, it had this section that's kind of like the previously on with the first season recap and the recap from first episode to the ninth episode of Entertainment Area. Meanwhile, the classic theme song is played in the background. I have to say that part was really exciting. Otherwise, I would save it for the next week. If it's still on the chart, I will tell you what I do like about Demon Slayer to the Swordsmith Village. But now, we better check what we have from top 3 to top 1. Top 3, a man called Otto. You cannot use this road without a permit. Have a nice day, sir. Marry my dead body. <laughs> top 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Turn it off. Magic Mike's last dance. The visionary artist, Magic Mike. Half one, Avatar, the way of water. If you want to live here, you have to. Wow, it indeed is really crowded. And there are two new faces. Besides, when it comes to movies related to home, Marry My Dead Body actually also counts. But I just watched it this morning. So let's talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania first. I'm a Marvel fan after all. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania started MCU Phase 5 after the mediocre Phase 4. Well, I don't know if you agree with me, but I do think Phase 4 was mediocre. The crew of Ant-Man series decided to upgrade this movie to the level of Avengers because they don't want to be the transition between other works anymore. But after watching it, I will have to say, well, yes, it's still the transition of other works. 
Not that it's bad. It's just not splendid. Although Ant-Man is a character that's rather unpopular, but as the pioneer of Phase Five, I'm pretty sure Marvel Studio put all the efforts they have to make it. But what I don't like about it is that the solutions to the crisis are just too easy. I mean, too convenient. If they're really that convenient, you don't need to use more than two hours to tell this story. The characters could just solve the problems right after it evolved. But on the other side, they improved the multiverse. We experienced the concept of multiverse in Phase Four, but this time in Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. This concept is going further. In the Ant-Man series, the concept of multiverse is closely connected to the quantum realm that hasn't actually been developed or explored. Like in Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, we learned that there's quantum realm, but we've never been there and we don't know anything about it. But in this episode, we're going to go there. According to the publisher. The audience gets to see all kinds of history, characters, politics, different worlds, and again, characters. But I don't think so. I don't think I watched all those. The only thing interesting is that people say if you haven't seen the series Loki, you wouldn't be able to understand this movie. Hmm, I don't think so. I think you can still understand it perfectly. It's just that you won't. Understand, you won't enjoy some of the references, but it's totally fine. I myself, after watching Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, I went back to watch the last episode of Loki, and suddenly everything I didn't understand—maybe it was just me—but everything I couldn't understand suddenly clicked. So I think maybe it's even better if you go watch Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania first, and then you go back to watch Loki. And that's all the time we have for today. Hope you like the show. Starting March, I'm going to work at the World Classic baseball game. So I'm not sure if I can produce the shows on time, but I will try my best. So keep in touch and stay tuned. I will be back in mid March for sure. See you next time.